Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to John Whitman, the writer responsible for the famed Galaxy of Books series and so many more pieces of Star Wars history. From radio dramas to Krav Maga, as well as some long-rumored projects that we get into, Mr. Whitman has some incredible stories and incredible talent behind one of the most formative book series for me growing up. So listen, if you dare. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 125, John Whitman. As a writer, first and foremost, like what were you gravitating towards as an early age and why did you kind of start pursuing at least that part of your career? Long before I got to write these Star Wars books, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I read Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. I think I read the first time when I was nine. And a lot of it went over my head as a nine-year-old, but I read the books when I was nine and loved the idea of world creation. Not just the storytelling aspect, but the world creation aspect I thought was fascinating. I knew from that point on that I'd like to write books. And when I was a kid, I really didn't associate science fiction and fantasy together. I realized that I'd go to the bookstore and they sort of put those two genres in the same section of a bookstore. But to me, they seemed very different for obvious reasons, I guess. I was a science fiction fan and I was a fantasy fan and I didn't really connect those two in my own head. I'm old enough that I saw Star Wars. I stood in line for it in 1977 as a kid. I really loved it for similar reasons, right? It wasn't just a cool story. It was world creation. I'd never thought I had a chance to write anything to do with Star Wars, but I was a big fan. Like anybody listening is is a big fan. But I wanted to be a writer. So I, I pursued that in my own way throughout kind of high school, writing high school stuff. And then I I ended up kind of going more toward poetry for accidental reasons. I got a graduate scholarship to write poetry at Boston University. And I, I bring that up only to say that that's really what led me towards Star Wars. It's several steps down the road, but that degree got me a job that got me connected to Lucasfilm. Let's talk about that job, I assume, uh, which is the Time Warner audiobooks role. Correct. Talk a little bit about that because the radio dramas, I have a huge love for those. And I think they're so innately Star Wars. And so let's walk through a little bit about that early career path. To make a long story short, I applied for the short story division of Boston University and got rejected. But they said, we like your poetry. You want to come here? I said, okay, it's a chance to do something. And when I came back to Los Angeles, I got this job for what was really the precursor of Time Warner Audiobooks. And I won't bore your listeners with this, but basically we started as a division of a division of Atlantic Records, which was in the Time Warner family. And we were making essentially Cliff's Notes on tape. We called it A-plus audio, and it was clip- It was exactly what you might expect from Cliff's Notes. It was the summaries of, of classic works that you could pop into, uh, at that time, a tape recorder or a car and listen to what Pride and Prejudice really was all about. That grew into Time Warner Audiobooks. That part was not me. I was one of the creative parts of this small company, but really it was my bosses who realized, hey, there's, there's no audiobook division of Time Warner. Let's be it. And Time Warner said yes. And then Warner Books became our bosses. And so we were still doing this product. We were then now making uh, audiobooks. Now, I did have a little bit to do with this. We were shopping around for a way to make a name for ourselves in what really was a fledgling market. Audiobooks back then were certainly around. People knew what they were, but they weren't the market they are today. And we were trying to find a niche. A couple of us suggested, hey, why not do radio plays? Why not make it more creative than just somebody reading a book? And I was a Star Wars fan, and I suggested some Star Wars stuff, and we did Dark Empire. What gets us ultimately to Galaxy of Fear was Lucy Wilson at Lucasfilm met with us, and they liked the idea. And this was at a time when I really, I don't know how much of a push Disney's making. You probably know more as a Star Wars insider guy than I. But at that time, Lucasfilm was, they were 
pushing to, this is way before the, even the re-release of the first movies, right? This is before any of the new movies came out. They were looking for ways to keep Star Wars alive. And th those are my words, not theirs, but they were clearly licensing products. And so they were into it. And I got to write the, the adaptations of these comic books. They were essentially radio plays, but they were, they were not for broadcast, only for sale. And Lucasfilm liked the writing that I did. So then they invited me to do other stuff. It really started with there were the books on tape and then there was the records, the story of Star Wars, but then the Brian Daly audio dramas for Star Wars and Empire, are like fantastic, like some of the best Star Wars of all time. But then you were able to work in a, a part with the Return of the Jedi adaptation. Exactly, because I'd done this other stuff. First of all, I, I want to repeat what you just said. If anybody in the audience hasn't listened to the BBC dramatizations of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, they're both great, especially Star Wars. It's fantastic. I think it is as immersive in its own way as the film is. And anybody who's an audiophile, obviously the visual is the visual. And George Lucas and his team did amazing work with the, uh, it wasn't CGI then, but with the special effects back then, but the radio plays fantastic. So yes, they did the first two and they weren't able to finish Return of the Jedi. And it, the script languished mostly done for a number of years. And I think as part of the same effort to revitalize Star Wars, and, and frankly, I mean, these are all my opinions, but in retrospect, they were probably gearing up for everything that we've seen in the last decade, right? They were, they were trying to, to lay the groundwork for new work, but they were revitalizing the existing work and they wanted to finish Return of the Jedi. And they asked me to go in and finish the script and to give myself what little credit I, I'm due, but in the right context, I'd say that it was mostly done. They needed somebody to come in and finish some scenes, and I got to write some original scenes. But I really was just putting the finishing touches on work that had already been done. So I really was just the guy at the end, which is fine. It was still a big thrill to me. And I got to sit in the studio and, and watch them do some of it when they were doing the recording. It was a blast. Everything you're bringing up, it, it really hits home to me because, I mean, I'm young. I'm, I'm 30. All the efforts that were made in the early 90s to bring Star Wars to a new generation, obviously it worked. So my friends are reading Goosebumps, and then I read Galaxy of Fear, right? And so I'd love to kind of see where that process led you. And then obviously that that was an incredible amount of books yeah, to be it, writing. Yeah, in a short time. That's, it was a lot. Um, we had done this deal, and I wrote these things for uh, these, I said, I'll call them radio plays, but they were for CD and, and tape only. We did a Dark Empire and then a sequel, and we did some Tales of the Jedi stuff. It was, it was fun to do. I had written the first couple of those, and... I got. A, I was contacted by Lucy Wilson, and I think it was Sue Rostini was on the. Rostini was on the call initially. They said, to make a long story short, listen, we like your writing. We have this idea for Goosebumps type Star Wars. They're called chapter books, right, for young adults and and, and earlier teens. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. It's Star Wars. Why would I not be interested? And they gave me a few parameters. They wanted it to be original characters. Not only could I include cameos from some of the of the known characters but they were encouraging it as long as it made sense, but they wanted them to be separate stories for obvious reasons, right? They wanted to attract a different audience that wasn't a Star Wars yet, but also they, they wanted to be careful about their camp, right? It had to be close enough to be, a, you know, attractive to someone like you, but also separate enough that they don't have to worry too much about it. Again, these are my words, not theirs, but I, I, I read between the lines. I created the two kids, Zach and Tash, and I honestly can't remember if they suggested who or not, or if I went into the list of things they had, but they, they really wanted somebody who, they wanted a character who was one of the recurring characters who was familiar in the Star Wars universe. And I think they might've suggested Hul, which I thought was a cool idea. Um, 
but then I used it to create this, this idea of these two kids and their just basically foster parents in the Star Wars universe. And they, I wrote up some ideas. They took them to Bantam and Bantam said it was great. Off we, we were off and running. It became 12 books. I believe it, it started maybe a six. Correct. Yeah. And then what was your evolution like and writing these characters and trying to figure out these storylines and writing them in a year and a half all together? Uh, were there any cameos or storylines that you really wanted to explore or how did that kind of form for you as you were? Cameos, yes. I wanted, I wanted everybody I could to have a cameo. I mean, because why not? Because first of all, I was a fan. Second of all, other fans, I hope, read the books. And so they would want these characters. And as a writer, most of the writing that I've done has been, I've been lucky enough to do a a number of books in Star Wars and other places where I've gotten to write my own stories inside somebody else's world, which is, I've written some original novels as well, but when you get to write in somebody else's world, it's an interesting kind of freedom because you're asked to create your own story, but you have parameters. I equate it to the idea of playing any kind of sport. It's fun to have rules, right? You have to play inside these lines. If there are no lines, it's a different game and it's, it's a different kind of fun. But inside the lines makes the game interesting. There's tension and drama and stress for the writer. And so when I was asked to write the Star Wars books, I really enjoyed the idea of having a whole bunch of freedom, but some very clear restraints. The idea of having these two kids who basically they were refugees from Alderaan. They happened to not be on the planet when it was blown up and they were orphans essentially. That was fun because I got to tell, I got to create them entirely, but I clearly had to make them fit inside the Star Wars world. I'd be interested, any feedback that you got from Lucasfilm, any wishes that you might've had or anything that you were kind of trying to do at least with your stories. Because again, I think it was a very effective way to introduce something that really is always present in Star Wars, right? There's always a horror undercurrent, I feel like, uh, with a lot of the original trilogy, especially with like Rick Baker and Phil Tippett doing um, a lot of the effects. Was there anything specific that you had in mind to kind of make make horror and make Star Wars kind of feel more connected than they ever really had before? It's a good question. And I realized you asked a minute ago about any storylines I pursued. I didn't answer that part. So I can kind of put these together. When you look at books for this age, hopefully the ones I wrote were okay. But it's an interesting challenge because especially when you're doing, doing that R.L. Stein horror for kids kind of thing, you are trying to make it scary enough to entice a kid without making it too scary for them. But you're also trying in Star Wars to give it that Star Wars feel, right? I, I, it would have been easier to write a, a horror story than a Star Wars horror story because it had to have that Star Wars feel all the time. I tried to grab some of that. When you talk about the somewhat underlying, I want to say innate, but underlying is probably a better word, uh, aspect of horror in, in Star Wars, it's there. I mean, Empire Strikes Back, all of Luke's experiences um, are that. They're, they are that part of horror, which is the internal dialogue. Like, why don't I just run away? This is all bad stuff. I'd like to be somewhere else. And clearly, you know, for his own reasons, he's not. But you're trying to dig into that. And to do that with kids is, is interesting. When you talk about storylines, the one pet peeve I've always had about any kind of horror story is I want the storyteller to explain to me in some way why the good guys don't just run away. You're in the haunted house, bad things happen, you should just leave. By the way, some stories do a great job of explaining why they don't just leave. Some don't. And I promised myself when I wrote the first one, which is called Eaten Alive, that I was going to have some reason why when the people start disappearing, why they don't just run away from that spot. And so I made it the entire planet. Like the entire planet is bad. And that was my reason why they couldn't just run away from the bad thing. So, and it's funny because hopefully it worked okay, but that was one of the things I decided. If I'm going to write a horror story, I'm going to answer that question off the bat. Not for the 
for the characters inside it, but for the reader, why they can't just run away is because the entire planet turns out to be the bad guy. I don't know if you were aware they just did a, a small comic book recently, a couple months ago, that had uh, Zach and Tash in it. Really? For the first for the first time since since then, I'll I'll send you a link oh, after. It was written actually by one of my friends. It. Dave Scheidt wrote it. It was, but it's like a small little story. And I went, I literally went to the comic book store just to get it because I was like, what a great well, that's uh, awesome. thing. But it was it was <laughs> nice to see them again. Yeah, and, and so everyone was everyone that was my age was like over the moon. Um, and they did such a good job uh, bringing them back to life again for a Very second. Very cool. Um, I will say one thing, and I, I hope it's, it's like I'm tooting my own horn, but um, no. in those characters, I really, really tried to give them equal weight and both flesh them both out as far as could be done in a, you know, a Goosebumps type story. The best compliment I got in some of the critical reviews from way back then was a comment that even though they were action stories and horror stories, that Tash, the female lead, was as strong character as the male lead. And that's really what I was going for. I wanted them both to to work together to carry it through. I didn't want either one to be a sidekick, and, and that's what I'm going for. Final thing in Star Wars, because I want to talk about everything you do now, which is uh, much cooler, I think, than than uh, uh, books from a long time ago, is there are two canceled books that are kind of legendary in a sense, the, the fairy tale books. And I'd love to maybe pick your brain if you can, because I think that's an interesting, again, uh, role reversal for you, right? You're writing horror books, and then it's like, let's go and write fairy tales. What was that process and that project? Now, I don't want to get too into the psychology of things, because the books really were not meant to be super deep. But I want to remind anyone listening that there is a real connection between horror and fairy tale. Fairy tales are, especially in the original uh, versions, Fairy tales are horror stories. They're cautionary tales for kids. And they're explanations of a world that, when those fairy tales were created, was in many ways unexplainable and unmanageable. There is a connection there. I'm not sure we were all exploring that when we talked about the fairy tale series. But it was along the same lines of the idea of expanding the universe, right? So you had the, again, I Lucy Wells can tell you way more about any plans they had than I could tell you. I'm assuming that they had this idea for more books for young adults and, and, and younger teens. Uh, and then they had an effort to get even a younger audience. I'm sure there was some sort of design. I wrote some some fairy tale stories and they were they were pretty standard stories. I will tell you that if anyone had to dig it up, the artwork that was made was really cool. Little Brown was the company working on them. They brought in some different artists, got to be in the meetings where we chose the artists. And the artist did some really cool renderings. I think it was canceled. I, my guess is that somebody somewhere decided it was not going to sell very well. But it was fun to work on. I, I have to say that I wasn't as experienced writing that age group. So I don't know how good the writing was. Um, I think it was probably mediocre. Um, the artwork was fantastic. I think my writing is probably okay. And my guess is that everybody felt, got kind of tepid about it because there was no real spark to draw those little kids in. Um, but if anybody has any artwork anywhere, it's really cool to look at. Yeah, I've been, uh, actually, it's kind of been like a, not a, a project for me, but every so often something will pop up. One time I was on a forum and someone was like, I have the ARC for it. And then was trying to sell it for like an exorbitant amount, but like also didn't post any pictures. And I was like, oh, that, we were so close to like, because I, I feel like it's somewhere. But if you if you remind me, send me an email afterwards. I honestly might have framed one of the art pieces that I say. Oh, wonderful. Just as like a piece of art for my own wall. So yeah. send me an afterwards. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely bump you. Because yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's kind of this storied thing. With the same time that you're kind of going through your your writing journey, uh, in the early 90s, you're also really getting introduced to Krav Maga and introduced to this world. And I'd love to delve into that and, and your current, you know, 
uh, work. Yeah, sure. I've been talking about this. This is what I'm doing now. I'm working on a couple of new books as well, but I haven't, I haven't, I haven't written a book in a decade um, just because I, I, around the same time I started working for what became Time Warner Audiobooks, I is 1991, and I started doing Krav Maga, which is the official system of the Israeli military. Back then, I was a student. It was brand new. There were like 200 people in all of the U.S. doing it. I'm now a fairly high-level instructor. I'm fairly well-known in that world. I've written you know, several books of Krav Maga. I run an organization that has, well, pre-COVID, it had about 130 affiliates around the world. We definitely lost some, unfortunately, due to COVID. Uh, it's been tough on, on this kind of business. But yeah, I, I train military uh, law enforcement, civilians all over the world. Wow, incredible. And that's the Krav Maga Alliance. What's the, how can people, if they were interested, how could people find that? Just, uh, it's www.kravmagaalliance.com. That's easy. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's easy now. Straightforward. Yeah. And honestly, I, you know, I, I'm a big believer that people should learn some form of self defense. Obviously, I'm biased toward Krav Maga, but um, it, it goes along with the idea of being involved in something like, you know, or being attracted to Star Wars, the world of adventure, the, the real version of that is that life is unpredictable and nobody has to become a super tough guy, but the more you can learn to handle yourself, the less likely you, you are to be attacked. So I'm, I'm an advocate of anybody learning the basics. Mr. Whitman, thank you for your time and for your stories and for the stories that you've told in the past as well. Uh, obviously, they had a, an impact on, on me and so many others and uh, it means a lot. So appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much again to Mr. Whitman for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk about his work in the galaxy far, far away. For more information about the Krav Maga Alliance, head to KravMagaAlliance.com. That's all for this week. Coming up soon are my already recorded interviews with people like Lucy Autry Wilson, Frank Ordaz, Brian Muir, and many more. And if right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps me out. So until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.